clubhouse. This is Paul. This is Caroline. And we're here to talk about the seventh episode of the fifth season of NBC's This Is Us. This one is called There. I think that one's pretty easy. Uh, <laughs> they talk about being there in several different ways. Yeah, and interestingly enough, it's not all positive. You know, always showing up and always being there. While we always think of that as a positive connotation, I would say that in the case of Jack's dad and baseball and the fact that he's always there at the games was not considered a, a thumbs up. Yay. I hadn't even considered it that way, but yeah. He's just like always there, like looming. Yeah. Well, and looming, that's a that's a word that they used in, in this episode. Look at me. Reusing vocabulary. <laughs> right, right. Pulling dialogue from the show into the podcast like a pro. Like a pro. <laughs> Let's get into these flashbacks, Paul, because these are pretty distinct scenes that, um, you know, some of these episodes we deal with, they, they're really woven into it and it can get kind of complicated about knowing like, okay, where are we again? Which, which, which year are we? This wasn't, I mean, this was very clearly Jack and his baseball journey with dad. And then we have Kevin and Jack's football journey and they're, and they're pretty capsulated. Like they were pretty easy to follow and just be like, okay, I get the message from this one. What do you think about the Jack's baseball scene? We saw a few different things going on at once. We saw perhaps an unfamiliar version of Stanley, the dad, where he wasn't outwardly aggressive <laughs> all the time, which we saw, we've seen Stanley be most of the time. He wasn't necessarily the most predictable guy, but he didn't start out terrible, which is where he normally was. Right. And so I really, I appreciated that you did some research on this one because I came into this thinking like, gosh, what have they done to this character? Because, you know, we initially met Stanley when he was an absolute, without question, domestic abuser, having this underground railroad moment with the mom, having to get to a friend's house so that Jack could just go ahead and leave the family. And I mean, it was very cut and dry at that point, what was going on. So to see this father who by no means is a dad I'd want to hang around, but yet he is at the games. He's participating. He seems engaged in some ways. I was questioning to you, like, you know, what, what have they done to this character? You found some really good info. Just as a reminder, we have seen nice Stanley before. One good example was when Nikki was born, which would have been something around nine years or so prior to the moment that we're witnessing in this episode. And that puts that around 1948 when Nikki's born. Stanley is not a drinker. He is nice to little Jack outside the nursery, informing him that it's his job to take care of his brother, et cetera, et cetera. But then there is a patch there that hasn't been described yet between 1948-1956, where the boys grow up a little bit and we see Stanley again and he has started drinking and he is hitting his wife and his children and things are bad. So the likely thing to have happened in that span is that he was involved in the Korean War in some way. Whether or not he went, he came back damaged in some way, or maybe he didn't go and he has always had some sort of problem with that. There was that feeling also that could happen to men that didn't go for one reason or another, some guilt. 
That hasn't been explained yet. We just know that after that period of time, he started drinking. And I think what we might see here is that he is not as far down that path as we see when Jack defends his mother in the scene you described from early on in the series. He's just more like, I don't know, he really fit in with like the dads in Mad Men, <laughs> you know, like um, right. that kind of functional alcoholism kind of level, the gruff with their sons, that kind of thing. Is that, that ring a bell? Like that old-fashioned parenting. So this isn't unprecedented, though, that we see a version of Stanley that isn't constantly terrible with his son. He kind of gets there. But he, even even in the moments when he was, like in the car, he's riding his ass and, he, and, and Jack says, shut up, because, uh, you know, the pressure is just building on the poor kid. I think we're meant to, as the audience, meant to feel like, what's going to happen? Is he going to hit Jack? And he, and he actually does back down. It's like he sees that his, his, he may, his son actually is at the limit of what he can handle right then, and, he, and he's not going to do anything more to exacerbate that. I think that's a signal that Stanley still is not as far as he's going to go on this destructive path. I, I'm glad that you bothered to do the the extra looking on that because, you know, I trust Fogelman that he is going to create a character arc that makes sense. He's not going to go back and say, oh, shoot, we have to make this dad somewhat redeemable or somehow even him out or something. If this sort of time gap between 1948 and 1956 is when the Korean War happens, which we all know is 1950 to 1953, then we've seen where he has shown PTSD for and the dramatic impact that war has on people. I mean, we had the storyline with Cassidy and Nikki, you know, going to the group meetings and, and, and just everything everyone has dealt with. And of course, Jack himself and everything he's dealt with. So we know that they have a great respect and a, and a great uh, need to tell that side of the story. So I feel like that is going to be where we're going to go now. But here, here's my only like caveat on that. There was nothing about how everything was filmed, those first scenes that we ever encountered the dad. I mean, if we're going with this, that he's going to end up being this like PTSD veteran. The punchline is that Jack never talks to him again and ushers his mom out to run away and they all abandon him and he yeah. never gets better and he's an abusive person. That's rough, right? Yeah. So interesting. So for me, I know that this baseball story is supposed to parallel Kevin's football story. But in reality, I feel like, I, you know, it's pulling me back to Stanley's story and making me wonder about especially the name of the of the entire episode there. You know, it makes me think more about who was there and when and, you know, who needed what when. That's interesting. That same, you know, when, when Nikki got to be too much for Jack to handle. He also handled him the same way that he handled Stanley, which was to excommunicate him from his life. I mean, mm-hmm. Nikki, Nikki did kill a child and <laughs> fake his death or try to fake his death or whatever. Uh, so that was a little more than usual. Yeah. But I'm really glad that you found all this stuff about Stanley and that you reminded me about where his story was and that we do have this gap in his story, because this seems like a very simplistic episode in a lot of ways. You know, it's like, here's Jack as a boy playing a sport and how his father acted. Here's Kevin playing a sport and here's how his father acted. I I mean, it seems like that's very 
you know, simple. But I think if you really dig into some of these characters and the way that they handle different things, I think it's fascinating that, you know, Stanley blames the little 12-year-old boy as Jack, whereas in the Kevin football storyline, Jack is quick to stand up for Kevin and and go to the adult and say, no, that's not the way that you treat kids. We're not going to act like that. I mean, that is a bravo break the cycle moment. Well, I think there were two elements to this story that were, were meant to tie everything together. There was the there-ness of it all. <laughs> yes. But, but then there was also this element of generational faults and, and how they can find themselves working themselves forward as people have kids and, and that kind of stuff. There's that cliche of, of not wanting to be your mother, not wanting to be your father or something like that. But in yeah. actuality, people's personalities only seem to have enough bandwidth to focus on that one or two things that really piss them off about their parents. Right. And, and say, I'm not going to do that. You're so right. You're so right. But then they do everything else. <laughs> yeah. Well, and a good point of that is the amount of stress that Stanley puts on Jack and Jack is laying there praying, you know, that the game goes well and everything. And then we have Kevin throwing up in the toilet because Jack, without even thinking about it, was building it up with the whole, oh, you're going to get a scholarship. Oh, it's a huge money investment for us. Oh, you know, all this, you're going to meet the quarterbacks, all this kind of stuff that, you know, he, you're right. While he, while he decided to change the cycle on, I'm not going to blame you, Kevin. I'm going to tell the coach to be the mature adult party and act right and not going to yell at the kid for anything here. But on the flip side, yeah, I mean, he's just completely perpetuated the pattern of stressing the kid out and making making it all bigger than maybe it needs to be. Which is interesting because the next generation is Kevin and Randall and, and Kate, obviously, but we're talking about fathers and sons here. So Kate's excluded. <laughs> Kevin admits that that he doesn't I don't think he he knows what he's going to improve on when it comes to his dad. He's more like just trying to live up to his dad. I agree with that. You know, I'll throw Toby in there too, because, you know, if I remember correctly, I mean, Toby's father was more like absentee, if I remember the story and stuff correctly, and I might not, so don't holler at me. But I remember, you know, the actress Wendy Malik playing his mom and it really being a lot with his mom and him hanging out a lot together in the, mm -hmm. in the episodes that we saw. So dad wasn't there. So the idea that there was that moment when we were like really frowning at Toby because he seemed like he was going to be absentee for Jack, then it was like, what are you doing, Toby? Why are you at the gym all the time why are you not you don't even know your kids you know eating and all these different things like it seemed like he was going to do that but he changed it so you're right and randall obviously we've seen him do the same things where he tries to tell stories give good advice all that stuff but he hasn't broken the pattern of stress and vices and you know his vices are somewhat more healthy in that he like goes running but his anxiety and his stress is is just as much as jack ever dealt with and he's tuned to not deal with anxiety very well which, I mean, gosh, does anybody really? I mean, at the end of the day, that's all you can really do is find a healthier vice, right? Because what are we all supposed to do? Stress is going to exist. It's not like Randall could be just like zen about everything. I mean, there's real life stuff that being stressed out or being anxious about is actually an appropriate response. Sure, but everyone has different capacities. And when he reaches his capacity, he 
he has a panic it's, attack. It, it's yeah. a dramatic moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely game over for him. So what did you think about Jack's decision to confront the football coach and, uh, and say, you know, don't be calling my son stupid. Risky in, in the sense that if Jack has put all this stock in being able to go to college and all these other things on football, like we're in Texas. So there's lots of opportunities to play football, but they're in Pennsylvania. I think there's still probably opportunities to play football up there, but yeah, but the, but what I'm getting at is that if you get on the coach's bad side and he doesn't play you, then none of that matters. Exactly. And I was trying to think about this. Would the right thing be to have Kevin be able to advocate for himself or be able to get a thicker skin and say, this is the way that coaches talk, but he's not. I mean, gosh, uh, my coaches called every single one of the girls a heifer and grandma if you were running too slow and, you know, things like that. I mean, we were called names all the time and we're not even this rough and tough guy sport, if you will, but we were called names all the time. And I didn't take it personally. I didn't take it like, oh, I must actually be a fat cow. I just took it like, oh, you're you're being too slow, essentially. Which you think they could just say, run faster, <laughs> instead of saying, you know, you big fat cow. But that's the way coaches seem to talk. I know you didn't play sports as much, but I know that you you're you're involved in lots of other activities. I mean, did you find that other other coaches or instructors or stuff basically spoke the same way, or were they more refined outside of sports? The same kind of thing happened there. I mean, there was no reason to make some kind of physical kind of thing, uh, a comparison like that. But like what we did was in band was you know a skill, essentially. So if there was just ways to make you sound not that skillful <laughs> and creative ways of doing that could make you feel like shit. So, yes, we had that, too. I, I could also tell everybody about the time in art school in college where my sculpting professor was going around the classroom giving people, you know, the benefit of his years of, of experience in sculpting. And he came across one person's work and informed him because everybody knew that the professor was dying of cancer. This was a known fact. But no one talked about it in class except for him. So he told the kid that his work made his cancer worse. Oh, my God. But so what do we think about this? Like, is this like like adults are psycho and and really treat kids in like a really crappy way? Or are we all supposed to have like a thicker skin and be like, well, this is what it's like between instructor and student. This is just the way it is. I think Jack was overall, it was a risk, but it was a risk that he had to take because at a certain level, the anxiety that his kid was feeling was not only brought on by, by Jack, but he was getting it from the coach too, in terms of not feeling good enough, like he was going to measure up to it. The language being used with him, that feeling you were having about being called a cow, that wasn't working on him. He was actually taking it like he is stupid. That's like his... Achilles tendon, right, is is that his brother is very smart. So he's always kind of naturally compared to someone that makes him feel stupid. Right? Yeah. And additionally, do you remember that a couple of episodes back, he had not been able to memorize the playbook. And so while his athleticism was great and, and everyone appreciated it, when it came to his intellect and actually 
that there was that side to the sport. You have to be able to memorize the plays. And, and if you can't, you're going to mess it all up. It doesn't matter how fast you run if you're not in the right place on the field. And you remember Randall helped him and stuff with the colored cards and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to say it worked a little bit. And I hate to say that because I'm an educator. And of course, I don't subscribe to the let's break them down and, and force them. And somehow the shame and guilt of it all will make them play better. Like I don't subscribe to this. But we saw at the beginning of this episode, what was he doing? Studying his playbook. So there was some part of him that did care about getting that part right of the equation. Well, and then there's the element of when it is at that level, the kid is not the right vessel to deliver the message in terms of like standing up for himself and learning yes. lessons and all that stuff. Sometimes it is parent to parent. Yes, or adult and that to makes adult. sense. Was it believable there? Like, was there enough intimidation going on with the Jack and the coach scene to actually warrant the coach being like kind of shooketh when he left the bar? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if Jack, it's not that he's a big guy necessarily. I mean, we I think we've seen that Milo is actually pretty jacked in real life. But underneath all the dad jacket and long hair and all that, he looks pretty dad-like and not particularly impressive. But the concept of being approached in a bathroom, which is where all secret fights take place. <laughs> right, true, true. <laughs> <laughs> right. And being caught off guard and he, he looked willing right then you know, whatever it was going to take. So yeah, I think, I think the intimidation worked. It was, it was legit. What did you think? Did, I mean, did, would that have worked in the girl in the ladies room? <laughs> <laughs> I thought the coach was probably a little bit more shook than I expected. Maybe it was because again, like you said, being caught off guard, you know, he had been laughing and, and likely drinking and stuff with friends. So when your mind is not even thinking about that other thing, and then you're just washing your hands and you turn around and this issue is standing there with again, probably something that you didn't really even think that the kids were running home and telling their parents, oh, the coach is calling me stupid. You know, what happens on the field is stays on the field for the most part. So I was like, there's probably several layers of like, I didn't expect that Kevin was telling his dad. I didn't know his dad was going to act like this. My mind was in a friend's night out fooling around with these other guys talking that I wasn't even ready. This wasn't like a parent teacher conference, you know, I wasn't even ready to have this conversation. But you could see the way that he responded to Kevin it, it, as an athlete. It did make me worry about, is this going to affect Kevin's ability to be on the field? And again, a lot of the tension of this episode was tempered by the fact that these are so many different timelines and we've seen the fast forwards of these. Like we've, we know like Madison, the children are not going to die. We know that, you know, we know the twins are going to survive. We don't know if Kevin's going to make it, but in terms of the actual twins health, there's no concerns there because we've seen them in the future, you know? Yeah. And, and same with when we are going through this, it's not like Kevin's going to quit football forever at 12. We know he plays in high school, so we know he continues to go on and we know he doesn't go to Penn State. So a lot of the tension of this whole buildup is, is kind of flaccid because we know this doesn't matter. Yeah, I think it was just supporting the theme of the, this episode, the thereness and the generational selective improvement program <laughs> that, <laughs> right, that right. we described earlier. <laughs> what were we supposed to glean from the Jack baseball scene? Just that the pattern was 
adults blame the kids, period. Because what was the whole driving home scene? What were we supposed to get from, you know, basically kind of patting him on the back and saying, like, you did better than I thought? What were we seeing there? What is well, that dynamic? This doesn't explain that. But the way I interpreted... <laughs> so so I'll go on for a long time about it. Um, Please. But, but uh, the, re- the reason I, I rationalized the car scene or the driving bit, the way that it tied in, was that he's his dad put him under an insane amount of pressure. You know, driving a vehicle underage, drunk dad all that stuff after just losing the baseball game or not even, he didn't even lose it is he, he had a single hit, you know, as a pitcher, that's actually pretty good. He didn't get any run support for God's sake. So he's having a bad day and he still did it. He still drove the car. He didn't have a wreck. He got his dad home. He did it. And so even though that sucks to have gone through that mentally, that still registers as, as kind of a win in terms of performing under pressure? I think so. And I, and I think I'll also layer on that. I mean, I flinched hard when Jack said shut up to his dad because that would not fly in my growing up. I mean, definitely. And specifically shut up. It's, I may have well said, <laughs> well had said you effing blah, blah, blah. Like if I said shut up because that was like an absolute, I mean, seriously, you could probably say the F word and get better results <laughs> than saying shut up to your parents. Like that was, that was an absolute no go. So I flinched. I'm, I'm, I'm weighing right now whether or not I want to go more into detail with that, but like, I'm not going to. Well, you showed me that, uh, that video of, of put ons where the kid had colluded with the mother to tell the mother to shut up in front of the oh, dad. Oh, yeah. 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 There's like TikTok videos where it was like a little challenge where basically, yeah, it was the setup was that the mom was going to say like, come, you know, do this chore and the kid goes, shut up. And every single time the unwitting dad who wasn't in on the joke, like responded like a fireman to a four alarm blaze, like went wailing across the house to like go grab a kid. And all the kids said, oh, <laughs> shut up. But shut up is a bad one, right? Yeah. So so I flinched about all that. And I was kind of shocked that there was no fallout exactly, unless there will be. And we just haven't seen that yet. I don't know. But I, I was kind of like, what? Shouldn't there have been like a big freak out over saying shut up? Well, yeah, I think this is that's just indicative of where Stanley is on his path. Um, and, and the, the W I'm thinking of is, is what feeds this idea in Jack's mind that putting a kid through some amount of pressure is what advances them, which is true, which is true. It's just finding the right amount of pressure. And with Kevin, as we have found out his threshold for negative input is like microscopic, and yeah, and good call on that because that really harkens back to like the director scene, right? The right? Attaboy, when he's like, right. "Stop, stop!" Like every time you would read like a couple lines, and but he was getting all negative feedback and no- nothing to work from. That is definitely not Kevin's currency. No, he he does really only respond to positive f- feedback, and it's not that he needs the attaboy. It's more like. Like you said, it's currency. It's fuel. It's what keeps him going. It's it's he's a he's an interesting guy in, in that both in sports and in acting, they the show it portrays him as someone with almost limitless potential. 
but he has to be in the right headspace to do that which is maybe all of us you know for for the most part is like provided we are given you know the right soil and and sunshine and water the right amounts for us most people probably are pretty limitless in terms of things they could do but it, it's just where those different things are lacking where the where the there-ness what's not there in their scenario and why they don't get to that point All right, well, let's move into modern Kevin because we have a storyline here. First of all, what a shockeroo on this twist that that car wreck was not Kevin. The entire time he was driving, I was like, oh, this is going to be the one. Oh, we're about to have that car wreck. What were you actually shocked about this twist? I was, and then I wasn't because they have done stuff like this to us with manipulative advertising and trailers in the in the past they they do this to I us. was suckered in Paul they got me on this oh, one they got I mean, me they, too. they showed the license and the wallet how could it not be him in the fire but yeah mm-hmm. i mean i guess an eagle eyed viewer might have noticed that the car wasn't the same the car wasn't the same (laughs) right right that would have been good (laughs) but i you know uh, backing up just a little bit because you know i do think there was more here i was pretty surprised at everything that was going on having to do with the set and i I appreciated that they showed us all their covid protocols i actually thought that flip up face shield was pretty rad i kind of think that that's like a cool thing the the kind that the, the director was wearing Remember, I think it was a This Is Us junket or something where they describe those. The directors don't need those. It's the actors that need those because they don't interfere with makeup. They can be flipped up and flipped down and they don't touch their face and they don't. Or their hair. Yeah, they don't. Right, exactly. Which as a hair lover, I have an issue with having a big band around my head. So, yeah, they, those are really more actors than directors. But that director looked like he might take one for himself too (laughs) (laughs) right what that guy we really think he is like a shystery kind of dude why do we why do we feel so negative about him well he's just kind of got that pretentious i'm an artist with a capital a kind of attitude that wears thin on you know salt of the earth folk like you and i Uh, we love our artists, but he is a particularly pretentious one. We're raising some little artists in our house, so uh, with capital A's. So I, I, um, I would hesitate to say that all are a problem, but this one, I, I was actually quite surprised when he started to try to work with Kevin. When he was like, "Listen, I can move the scenes. We'll just knock this one out and all that." Like he actually was more responsive than I expected him to be, which, you know, kudos to the writing for trying to make it a little more reasonable because the quitting scene could have happened right then, right there with the director, you know, just saying like, if you don't complete this scene right the second, you're fired. Like all that could have happened right then. And it didn't. He actually tried to have a little bit of like, well, we'll rush things, we'll move things, we'll have it just come back, you know, quickly. You know, I I, I gave him a little credit for that. But there's got to be some story fallout here. I mean, he blew up the Manny. He blew up his Broadway show. Oh, yeah. Self-saboteur. And then he's got this this movie with De Niro, which, you know, De Niro makes both big and little movies. I think War with Grandpa might qualify. <laughs> 
as a little right. movie. But yeah, he's still a very respected figure. And that's supposed to tell you the gravity with, associated with this um, this movie. And so, yeah, I, I it would make sense if he was a little poisonous after this. But we know there's a lot of money because, I mean, again, we've seen the future. We know he has a lavish home. We know he is. There's no issue with him with money, it seems. So we know he's okay, even if we have to go through some career bumps. I mean, This Is Us is very much the it's not the destination, it's the journey. And so I appreciate that. But it does ratchet the tension down a little bit. Now, let me ask you, as a father, what is the level of importance of the there for Kevin in this scenario? Do you think he should have gone and filmed the De Niro scene, just knocked it out as quickly as possible, and then gotten the earliest flight straight from Vancouver direct? I think depending on the generation of guy you ask, you probably get a different answer. You know, you ask our grandfathers, they'd say, you go to work. You go to work, without a doubt, right? <laughs> you know, whereas you ask me, and I'm going to say, like, you only get one chance to get this moment right. And when you're 20 years from now thinking about it, is is right for you going to be that you went to work and missed everything and whatever comes of this premature birth? Or is right for you going to be that you did everything you could to be there with Madison and the babies. And for me, the choice would have been to go. So you would have quit? Like, I mean, you would have left De Niro as standing there and everything? It would have been tough. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a consequence-free decision. But yeah, it's it's that kind of future retrospective thinking, I guess, that, that helps guide those gigantic moments best for me. I'm going to leave this 100% in your court on this because I've only lived it from the mom's point of view. So so if you say <laughs> that you don't that have a choice, <laughs> wherever you are, I, that's where the action the, is. <laughs> that's where the labor was. Yeah. So I'm not I, I don't I don't even want to really it sounds silly, but I don't feel like qualified to weigh in on it because I only know the emotions coming from the other side. And we didn't have this kind of issue. You know, there wasn't that kind of question mark. And so I just don't even feel like I know what to say. I, I appreciate his heroic effort. Efforts. I really was, for whatever reason, laser focused on the fact that every conversation with Madison kind of fizzled out at the end of it. And she never said, I love you. And he never said, I love you or anything like that. They don't know where they're at. I know, but still, I mean, they don't, they didn't know where they were at in terms of raising their family and all that stuff. But he's still yelling, my fiance, my fiance, my fiance. That's part of what's probably confusing for him. But Ultimately, I mean, he does want to be there. We, we've seen Kevin needing to feel like he's doing the right thing. And it's a little Jack voice inside of him. Yeah. And I think that I will, I will say, and Rebecca, it's not like Rebecca wants him to do the wrong thing. <laughs> we give jack an awful lot of credit but but at the same time i mean they showed in this one and i felt a little bad that they used rebecca's continuing issues as like comic relief because when she's like oh i have one oh no i typed in victorsville i was like oh no like i mean i know you could just say oh come on now that could have just been like an elderly person on a computer joke but it felt a little like oh my god did we just make that be the right. 
Well, it's, a got, a, it's got a V, Mom. Put Miguel back on. <laughs> yeah, which, I mean, again, if he, if she was simply older, okay, but she has an issue with her mind right now. So it felt a little bad that we were, you know, kind of mocking that or exploiting yeah. that for a joke, you know? So I was, I felt a little uncomfortable about that part. That's fair. That's, that's fair. I wonder what she said during the broken up phone section, if it was just like... Because she she was saying something about Jack. It's ultimately probably not that important, but I still I still wonder what she said. I wonder too. Again, like good on the show to make us even care about a broken up phone conversation. Like I really wonder what the other end of that call was like. Like that's pretty good. Now let me ask you: Do you stop the car? Now you've made the decision. It is very important. This is a once in a lifetime thing. You see a car accident. Do you stop the car and save this guy? Oh man, that's a tougher call. The, the virtuous nature of, of an anonymous podcaster like myself would naturally want to say something like, of course, I would swoop down into the ravine and pull the minivan out single-handedly. But my honest self is like, I don't even know if I would notice. As someone who has driven feverishly to the hospital from, from me, I don't know that I would have noticed because I can remember very recently our eldest had cut her finger. And I had to drive an hour away to get there in time to help with stitches and the dealing with her finger. And she has special needs. So this was a really big deal. And I can honestly say that I have no recollection of that drive. Like from the time I got into the car until the time I was hitting the exit for my hospital, I I don't know how I got there so fast. I could have sworn to I was driving the speed limit. But I can't remember it because my mind was racing so much. So I agree with you from that standpoint of like, I don't know that I would have noticed a broken fencing because the the lights were were pretty far down into the ravine. So it was a lot to expect that I would have seen it. Yeah. But then once you did, do you just say, I'm going to drive to the next available something and tell them to go back and help the person? Well, I mean, if I've already stopped and I can actually see goddamn fire on this car... I don't know. I mean, uh, it seems like then this is like a a just happened kind of moment. And with my phone not working, uh, I guess I got to go help. I mean, but I'm not selling myself short out there, listeners. I wouldn't. It's like 90% chance I wouldn't have noticed this at all. Streaking by at highway speeds at night and as focused as I was on managing this trip and trying to get a flight going and trying to and talk your to Madison. agent calling right. and your director calling and talking to Madison. Like I think most of our adrenaline filled brains would have been completely overwhelmed. So so I mean, you know, he stopped, he saves the man, he gets him to the hospital. The entire time he's going to the hospital and he's trying to think about how he's going to make it to the airport, I was thinking, ask for a police escort. <laughs> when you get to the ambulance bay, there's always an officer there. Ask for a police escort and get there like a hundred times faster. But of course, we knew the foil was not going to be getting to the airport on time. Once we knew that that wallet had fallen out and was laying at the scene of the accident, I was thinking, oh, my God, he's never going to be able to get on the flight. Nope. No way. Uh, It'll be interesting to see what the solution is. The only thing I could think of, and this would only work if he had his wallet, would be you wouldn't need to go through TSA if you had a private jet. (laughs) Oh, so do you think he does that? Maybe, but he still needs access to his money. 
Well, phone calls. I mean, come on, bank transfers and Apple Pay and everything else. Surely he can get access to his money. But mm, I like that as a potential solution to this whole thing, although he never thought of it the entire time he was looking for a flight. You would have thought he would have kind of gone to that pretty quickly here. But okay, interesting, because the way that our screener ends, there's no resolution to this. He's pretty much just still trying to deal with what is he going to do? I mean, the agent at the TSA wants to be helpful, but her hands are tied. When she mentioned that there was an actually an ID office, I was like, oh my, okay, this is something I didn't know that existed. Are they going to come through? Is this that much of a Pollyanna situation? This whole scene, I was, I was thinking to myself, Caroline is probably screaming at the screen, like, go talk to the manager. <laughs> <laughs> You know I was. <laughs> you know I was like, can he, will he? She doesn't have the authority to let you on the plane. You must find the authority figure that has the power. Do not waste your time. Yes, that is what I was dealing. And that's a little model netics for you listeners. Can he, will he is a lesson about can he means does this person have the power to get me what I want? And will he, do I have the power to encourage or inspire action in this person? And the situation is he did have the will he part in terms of like, you know, yeah, I think that this woman would have helped, but she didn't have the authority to do that. And so there wasn't, I mean, this was a wasted conversation. I do appreciate that this is a unique situation where he is a public figure and they really could pull up his name and his face and everything. I liked how she said, that's not how this works. <laughs> I was like, true that, girl, true that. This is not how this works. Yeah. That was funny. <laughs> you know, we were left on quite a cliffhanger there. What do you think? Do you think the private plane solution is going to reveal itself? Or do you think somehow he ends up with a license? Do you think that the ambulance driver somehow goes to the scene of the crime, somehow finds the wallet, somehow calls him or something? Like, how does this resolve? What's your prediction? Unfortunately, I think it's going to be just, he's stuck. He's going to end up waiting for this temporary ID situation. He's going to get there late. We might even see something like a TMZ, like Kevin Pearson saves my life kind of thing, um, kind of corroborating his story. Oh, intrigue. I thought you were going to see a TMZ of Brian, the director, and like an onset meltdown with De Niro being walked out on and stuff like that. I thought you were going that direction. Oh, well, I mean, there could be, I mean, if there's not fallout for, no one cares about your stupid movie <laughs> or whatever. He I know. He, when, uh, he, when he was yelling, shut up at him, <gasps> that was like, I was having flashbacks to, to young Jack saying, shut up in the car, because here we have Kevin yelling, shut up at the authority figure that has antagonized him ah, good call i totally even i totally passed right over that but that's exactly right yes it's the parallels man they got parallels in every single storyline if you haven't found the parallel keep looking because that's how they write this that's the story structure there's always a parallel in these so i'm 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 afraid you're right. I think he is going to miss the birth. And I do think that that is going to create probably the chasm between him and Madison that might be unable to be bridged, basically. There's just no way to come back from this, I think, from their standpoint. Now, do I think as Caroline, do I think I have enough common sense and enough understanding that if I heard you walked off your movie set, you quit your movie, you drove in the night, you saved a man from an accident you gave him the jacket because his leg was bleeding out and the man was passing out and your wallet fell out of that jacket. 
do I think you're not a good enough man to marry and be in my life because you didn't get there in time? No, that's not how my mind works. But Madison having zero close family and essentially zero close friends makes me think that she's pretty quick to cut people out. I'll give her a little more credit than that. But I don't know that it's just going to be like an instant, oh, you're you're here. Glad you could come <laughs> kind of moment when he strolls into the hospital. Um, but ultimately, I think I think I don't know that it'll bust them up. I don't know that it'll bust them up. Okay. All right. Well, I like that. Okay. So, oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, Madison, having no family, no friends, did you see Randall coming in for the win? No. And I have so many mixed feelings about this. It was easily the most powerful scene of the episode. Yes. As close as I get to crying, that was it. You know, he said, your family. And and she starts swelling up. Man, that was gut-wrenching stuff. Now, for those people who are saying, why would Randall and Beth bother to call her? Okay, having been on a very long car trip, as New Orleans to Philly would be, let me tell you, you start calling everybody. (laughs) You're like, hey, old pal from third grade, want to shoot the shit for like an hour? I got some time on my hands. I do that every single time. Like if I'm driving just for like a three hour, going to a board meeting kind of thing, I'm like calling everybody I ever knew, catching up with anyone. It's like my time to try to do that. So it didn't seem so weird that they're driving along. They're feeling super high on figuring out Randall's story they wanted to be there for kevin and so they're sort of like this is like a proxy situation where they can kind of have the same good vibes feeling that they wanted to feel by having things go right with kevin then instead they can be there for madison and that's somehow sort of kind of the same with the dynamic between the brothers i have to wonder if this is going to set up some kind of guilt within kevin Oh, that Randall was there and Kevin wasn't? Yes. Oh, good call. Kevin's trying, trying, trying to be a bigger, better man with every episode. But that doesn't mean that there still wouldn't be an episode worth of drama (laughs) to milk out of this idea, you know? I think that you're probably right, because even though it's absolutely uncalled for, and certainly Randall wasn't trying to do anything, but that's not how these stories get revealed in terms of, first, we have to have an emotional reaction to the whole thing. Of course, Randall would be sitting there talking to Madison, talking her through everything, and Kevin once again comes up, snake eyes. So interesting. I know I love Randall, and and Beth and Randall's faces were so genuine and so concerned. Concerned, and I loved that Randall picked up on the fact through that look with Beth where they gave the like, mm, sums off here. <laughs> and then what he says, I or maybe I could just stay on the line. I was like, good on you. It reminds me of there's this like Piglet and Winnie the Pooh little memes that's out there where Winnie the Pooh doesn't want to talk. He's, he's having a bad day. And Piglet says, that's OK. I'm just going to sit next to you. And that's the whole thing. Like, there's no conversation needed. You don't have to tell me all your problems, but I'm just going to stay on the line. And you know that the line is open. And when you're ready, feel free. Um, and boy, those floodgates just opened right away. Well, she's she's run her, her show alone for so long that the idea of someone that's not Kate, um, and she really forced her own self into Kate's life, um, giving a shit about her is probably super foreign. 
I do have to say that I was a little surprised at the line when she said, I never thought I would have to do this alone. Sister, you were setting this entire thing up to do this alone. (laughs) That's true. You said over and over, I'm fine with being a single mom. You said over and over, I'm cool with being alone. What? That line was a little like, hmm, giving you some side eye. Yeah. Well, and hey, I've been in labor and I've been in premature labor. I've, I've done all this. I've done twins early. There's no part of it that isn't overwhelming. And, and the adrenaline in her own head would be pretty wild. So I understand. I, I, I'm throwing no shade on a woman in labor. I just thought it was kind of a funny line from that from the writers to be like, I never in a million years expected to do this alone. I was like, wait, what? Right. Except when I told <laughs> Kevin that he doesn't really need to come back, apparently. And everyone, I told Kate, I'm going to have these babies alone. I planned an alone pregnancy. I told my doctor, I'm single. I'm having these kids alone. Like, (laughs) you kind of forced the situation, perhaps. You might not want to speak that stuff into the universe so much. (laughs) Speaking of Kate, I think next week is going to be an all-Kate episode. Oh, my goodness. Were you shocked when they said, oh, Ellie's given birth. It's time. Yes. I was like, wait, 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 that went through? Like, that woman totally committed to this? Is this happening? Uh, yeah. Uh, like, uh, where, where is the time going? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> right? And also, I didn't think they had a commitment to this woman. I thought that they had the meetup, and things were kind of going okay. Oh, they but did. there was a lot of question marks. Remember, they had that ultrasound, and they had sort of a, yeah. a little tete-a-tete out in well, the Well, about lot. the don't, don't choose that name, because that particular name yeah, was a negative it's just for a her. misunderstanding. So, so you're right. You're right. You're right. I guess there, there was a stronger... A stronger yay there than I'm giving it credit for. But I just was like, oh my gosh, what? That story? Okay, we're going there. Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah, so that's where I think we're going next week based on just the pattern that they've done in previous seasons where they feature one one of the big three for an episode and they put the others in there just as cameos. And the last two have really met that. If you can remember that far, I mean, I know the schedule's been a little wacky of late. Yeah, thank you to everyone who's continued to listen and continued to watch because I know that there's people who who I am friends with or related to who are like, I just can't. Like, I'm just waiting until this entire season's over and I'll go back and watch it. But in real time, it's too much of a hassle to try to figure out if it's on or not. To be honest... I don't think you and I expected this one to be on Tuesday this week. I, I think we thought we were doing part one, part two, part three of the reruns, and we were pretty unsure. I think we thought they were coming back next week. Uh, I think that's right. So, yeah. So I was kind of like, oh, wait, hold on. I'm not sure exactly what they're doing. So, yeah. So even us who get screeners and and when things are coming out, and, and here's the other thing we do want to always throw out there. Our screeners were super unfinished. Voiceover stuff wasn't completed. Green screen stuff wasn't completed. So if there's some that is edited differently. If you guys heard something or saw something that we're not talking about, please know that that could have still happened in post-production and when we're not privy to that. So we just had that happen on another show on, on your honor, where there was like a big, like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's like a whole scene in here that is unexplainable. It's in the previously scene. And no no one was like, what episode was that in? But it, I don't Did you have a, a question mark on, it was one of the moments where the nurse was talking to Madison and there was a noticeable ADR 
like ADRs where they record dialogue afterwards, which is super easy because she's wearing the mask. Right. But it didn't match. Yes. Her voice sounded diff- like, like it didn't match. Yeah, I agree. Yes. And it made me wonder, was it just a miking problem or did they change the line? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, we'll have to watch on Tuesday and find out. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. We super appreciate it. This is Caroline. This is Paul. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.